When I was a probationary constable I was on patrol with a senior constable in Adelaide, South Australia. We received a noise complaint of a party in an... Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Old derelict building on the outskirts of the city. As we approached, there was a man standing waving us down. From the car the noise was deafening concert loud. This is a heritage listed home built circa 1700s the windows were all covered by boards and the lighting came through the cracks. The whole property had a 2 meter fence with barbed wire atop. As we could find no way in the fire department was called for help. 30 minutes later with more backup to catch the possible squatters living in the house, everyone in position to make entry. 3.2.1 Ground floor breached officers yelling their presence, the house thrust into darkness and no one If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. 
real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Was there but us? 20 members of the emergency services staring at each other. Most had confused looks. Next shift I was informed that the house with the party was indeed over 100 years old and was sealed over 40 years ago after a party guest was killed and the house was deemed unsafe as cause of death unknown. The house was never ever connected to or built for electricity yet on that night over 20 professional people heard loud music from the 80s and through the cracks saw the lighting of a modern day disco. To this day my friends and I still don't know what it was and we definitely don't talk about it. One afternoon we had an old couple in a nicer neighborhood die in a murder slash self-harm. The husband had terminal cancer and the wife was bad off with dementia. He laid her down on some plastic in the living room and shot her and then himself. He left a note, but it was kind of rambling and hard to make anything out of it. Several months and a cleanup later, a younger couple bought the house at a really cheap price. It had sat on the market for about nine months so they came in low and got the house. About three weeks later the wife called in the middle of the night saying someone was in the house upstairs. We all show up, clear the house and find nothing. Both parents and both children all said the same story, they saw a dark figure walk from the hallway into a room. The same thing happened every night for the rest of the week. It got to the point where the entire family wouldn't go upstairs and the light stayed on 24-7. Eventually the family got tired of living in fear so they went to stay with family for a bit. They asked that we keep an eye on their house, which in all honesty we had already been doing because who wouldn't want to see a ghost, right? They gave us access to their house and permission to enter if necessary. Late one night I was driving by and hopped out of my car to check on things when I saw someone walk by an upstairs window and then the light in that room turned off. I called up my partner and we made entry into the house. The feeling inside was awful. You knew something wasn't right and the air just felt depressed. Kind of like the feeling you get at a funeral home but times 10. We searched downstairs and made sure nobody could come in or out. We weren't real happy about going upstairs but it was our job, so we did. Let me tell you upstairs felt disgusting and oppressive. Imagine how it feels when you're in a swimming pool and you try to run or move quickly through the water but it's real restrictive so you can't, that's the best way I can describe the feeling. All of a sudden the same room light I saw turn off, turned back on. Creepy. We went into the room and, nothing. As a matter of fact, not a single person in the whole house. This was years before body cameras were a thing. So a lot of us made it a common practice to carry pocket-sized digital recorders in our pockets to protect ourselves and offer as evidence should we need to. On reviewing our recording, 
We could hear talking that wasn't either my partner or I. Our voices were easily discernible and the other voice definitely wasn't ours, nor was it really loud enough to clear enough to make out what it was saying, but it was obvious it was there. It would have been like if someone was in another room talking and you could pick up the conversation but couldn't really make out the words. Neither of us heard the talking when we were there in person. Made your hair stand on end and gave you the chills to hear it. To this day it vividly stands out in my mind even though that was very early on in my career. I've had two particularly strange incidents, with one at a call for service several years ago that I will describe today. I tend to write novels for answers, so I'll get to the other story at another time. One overcast morning my partner and I responded to a call of a possible burglary at a single family home not far from our station. The elderly lady living alone there was terrified and she threw her keys down to us from her upstairs window because she was afraid of navigating though her house to open the front door for us. As she does this, we take a look outside and see no signs of any kind of forced entry. The home has a front gate, and everything appears perfectly secure. We get inside and do a quick walkthrough of the upstairs, to give a quick rundown of how the house is situated, Many of the homes in this city are in a row house set up on a city block, with a garage on the ground floor and the residence on the floor above. Many of these homes have areas downstairs offset from the garage that are often used as in-law rental units. At this moment in my story, we have only checked out the upstairs residence and have not yet accessed the garage downstairs. So the lady goes ahead to tell us that she was sitting upstairs, when suddenly somebody begins banging on the interior door leading down info the garage, and rattling the door handle. Large bangs, and violent door handle shaking. This door is similar to any interior door leading down into a basement, the garage can only be accessed via this door, the main automatic garage door outside, and a small exterior door on the side of the house. She's obviously frightened and believes that someone has gotten into the garage and is now trying to break into her residence. She calls 911, and my partner and I show up. With this info, we ask for another unit to begin making its way toward our location, ask to clear the radio traffic for a moment while we sweep the downstairs, pull out our weapons and flashlights, open the door, and descend into the pitch dark downstairs. What we find is a time capsule. The entire downstairs area is a testament to the 1950s, 60s, and 70s. Lots of dust, but otherwise perfectly preserved food and beer cans, advertisements, books, and magazines from years past. The automatic garage door was no longer operational, and a large old pristine Cadillac sat there looking like it never left the lot. We found a closed door in the back, and it led us into an old, clearly unused in-law unit with vintage furniture and appliances. The place looked like it belonged in Mad Men. Dust everywhere, again, but what spooked me was the in-law unit's bedroom. It looked as if someone got up, walked out to do some errands, and never came back. Clearly an elderly couple's room, with framed black and white photos on the walls, personal items, combs, brushes, makeup and jewelry kit, doily, on the dresser, old suits, hats, dresses, 
and nightgowns in the closet. We searched in every conceivable place for a person to be hiding, and we found nothing. All entrances and windows locked and secure, no footprints, no dust disturbed, nothing. I've been to many burglaries and many home invasions, and I have never seen a place with no sign at all of an intruder. I don't know what caused it, but while we were in that bedroom every hair on the back of my neck was standing straight up. I searched some of the same places over again, because I just knew someone was watching me. There was no. One. There. At this point, we cancel the other responding unit and open the radio traffic back up, and as we are leaving we run into the homeowner's friend. Turns out she had called him too, a firefighter from the next town over, and he had arrived while we began our search. He verified that this wasn't the first time that this has happened, and that he had seen it too. He would not venture any thoughts into what it could be, despite my prodding. We never did find out who used to live downstairs. Could someone have broken in and left zero sign of their presence? Sure, but in my experience I can't see how. Could the homeowner have been suffering from dementia? Again, sure, but she was sharp as a tack and did not strike me as someone with an age-related mental condition. Her friend verifying it really ended that theory for me. Whatever happened, she was scared enough of it for me to believe she truly experienced it. As my, usually not chatty, partner and I left that place, as we got back to our car, he just says I dunno, man. Do you believe in ghosts? That was pretty much the end of that conversation, but this incident really still sticks with me. Did I deal with a haunting that morning? Or with the most impressive magician of a burglar, who didn't steal anything? the world has ever seen. Who knows, but it sure was creepy. Last year, while on patrol at around 3 AM, we arrested a man for assaulting a woman. The woman was hurt pretty badly so we called her an ambulance. While waiting for the ambulance, we cuffed the man and put him in our car. When we arrived at the station, the man was gone. Was the seat empty? No, instead we discovered the woman who was assaulted lying in the seat. Handcuffed. We asked her what she was doing there, and she ranted about a false arrest and how she was going to sue us. All her injuries were gone but she was wearing the same clothes as the victim. In fact, there was no reason to believe that she wasn't the victim from appearances alone. Since she had technically committed no crime, we had to let her go without further interrogation. When we got back to the station, we contacted the ambulance to see what happened. No one had any record of the call. We checked our body cams but there was nothing out of the ordinary. We captured the arrest but the camera was off by the time the ambulance came. The footage however confirmed that the woman in the car was the victim. A few days later, the footage mysteriously disappeared. Since it was around 3 AM, there were no witnesses. We don't have contact information for the man or woman so there was no other way to follow up. Whenever I drive or walk past the spot, I get chills. My ex-partner refuses to talk about the incident, muttering something about me masturbating too much and the First Amendment. He had a partial breakdown about 8 months later and left the force. To this day, 
I suspect that he knows more about the incident but is prevented from talking by forces beyond his control. My partner Ira and I were traveling down a six-lane highway on routine patrol in a two-man car. We were passing a large office building on the left and a parking lot on the right, when about 50 feet ahead of us, a straight line of fire sprung up from the pavement all the way across the road and burned several seconds. It was hundreds of individual flames like come from a pilot light, not a constant flame like someone had spread an accelerant or fuel across the road and ignited it. The road which was at least 60 feet wide here was completely abandoned, not a car or person in sight. Ira exclaimed did you see that? As he quickly stopped the car and activated the blue lights to warn any cars that might approach. Strangely enough, there was not a car coming in either direction, it was as if time stood still for everything around except for him and me. There was not even anyone talking on the police radio. We got out of the car and approached the area of road cautiously questioning if it might happen again. Using our flashlights we searched for any evidence of the fire, but couldn't even find where the fire had been, not even a discoloration on the pavement. We were baffled by this and were never able to explain it. Supernatural? I'm not sure, but it certainly was extraordinary. I used to be a cop in the French military police and in the small city I was working there was this huge abandoned military hospital pretty creepy. I had been inside and I had seen that there was once a huge fire inside and the firefighter had written on the walls the number of people killed by the fire and I didn't like going there even though it was part of my job from time to time. So it was like 2 am. We were patrolling in the city center and we received a call saying that someone living next to the building was complaining about noises. He'd say that he could hear chains being moved and people screaming. We were very close so in like 30 or 45 seconds we got there and we couldn't hear anything, it was very calm and peaceful. I have to say that it was impossible to enter the building since we had locked up the two entrances, nobody could ever get inside and that night we checked both entrance. Nothing had been broken. So yeah, it's probably nothing but it was pretty weird. Later on, my colleagues told me that they were called pretty often about noises in this old military hospital which scared the shit out of me. This next story is very graphic and gore. Very early on a winter morning my colleague Pete and I were trying to stay inside the patrol car and out of trouble. We were halfway through a week of night shifts that had turned up a dead body on a bus, choked on his vomit falling asleep on the rear bench, a long dead body at a bail inquiry, two inches of dead flies up against the inside of the window, and a self-harm with deadly consequences. We had just dealt with a two-month-old baby left alone with two bottles of milk while his mother got pimped around the rougher clubs in Dalton. He'd been screaming since 9 p.m. when the neighbors called at midnight and we hoofed the door in. The mother and her madam had turned up at the nick, kicking off and demanding the kid back around 2 a.m. Pete and I had expended quite a bit of energy getting her to the cells. We go back out at the end of the witching hour, 4 a.m., our skipper promises us the easy stuff and we get a routine call, woman heard screaming in street, 
with a general location of a tower block not far from us. We get this call several times a night, most times an area search reveals nothing, sometimes it's amorous foxes or loud TVs. We get this a lot with gunshots, people in tower blocks watch movies with headphones so they can turn the volume right up on an action flick. The headphone lead gets accidentally pulled out. Sudden eruption of calls shots heard. But you never know, and can guarantee at least once in your career it will be something. In Hackney in early 2000s that could be a couple of times a year. We find the block and it's L-shaped, open-air balcony landings with three stairwells, one at each end and another at the junction. We go up the first stairwell, eight floors, not even the usual rough sleepers, very quiet. We look down each balcony then cross to the middle. We plan for one of us to go down each remaining stairwell. A foil to our plans, the balcony had been sealed off with expensive-looking double-glazed partitions so we had to go back down to ground level. This meant we had to climb the last stairwell again, all eight floors. We don't even know if this was where the screaming was heard, there's only been one call, and all is silent. We were just about to have a discussion on whether we would call in an ASNT, area search no trace, or start climbing when we smelt a delicate flowery perfume. It wouldn't have hung around long, so we start climbing, on the fourth floor we saw blood dripping down the stairs. Calling for more units and climbing a bit more tactically we couldn't smell perfume anymore, but on the fifth floor, wedged upright behind an emergency panel, the body of a young lady. She had been stabbed several times around the face and neck, a large amount of blood was slowly draining out of her skull and making its way downstairs. As our colleagues are cordoning off the building we find the victim's purse and driving license, she has an address on the next floor. We knock on and eventually a sleepy flatmate comes out and confirms the victim lives there. With the detectives questioning the flatmate we search her room find a bottle of the exact perfume we smelt downstairs. Victim lives alone but has a Russian boyfriend who flatmate has a bad feeling about. One of the detectives used to work at Heathrow and expedites a trace on this guy's passport. The first flight to Moscow is in about an hour. We return to the station to write up our evidence. As we're going off duty the detectives tell us the boyfriend was Nick trying to board that first flight to Russia. Bloodied wet wipes were found in a bin near his car, with a bloodied overcoat, where he had vigorously cleaned himself before abandoning the lot in the far reaches of a car park. Pete and I attended the coroner's office for the autopsy. The coroner said she had died almost instantly, at least four hours before we found her. We asked about the perfume and he said no trace was found on her. So who smelt of perfume? And who screamed less than five minutes before we found her? Everyone in the block passed the alibi and attitude test, no one admitted seeing her or screaming, the call came from a mobile at the night bus stand across the street, all they heard was a scream. It's possible she was wearing the perfume and we just didn't smell it after we focused on the blood. But the coroner looks for stuff like that and said she wasn't wearing any. Even then she must have applied it when she left the house for work the previous morning as the bottle was still beside her bed. So it shouldn't have been so strong as to carry down five flights. It's possible a rough sleeper found her screamed and ran, but they know if they witness something like this, 
it's a guaranteed couple of hot meals back at the nick and pick of the lost and found for shoes if they help us out. Pete and I awkwardly avoided talking about it for a while, but a few days later got called to a person's on burglary, someone crawling around a cellar says old lady occupant. Another ASNT job. We climbed down the stairs Pete in front, with his baton extended and torch out. He brushed a black plastic bag of old clothes which started to fall against the back of his shoulder. Pete spun and gave it the most tremendous and prolonged battering. I got to use the great Bill Murray quote whoa, whoa, whoa. Nice shooting Tex. The old lady shouted down what is it? I replied a ghost. Pete looked like he was gonna thump me. The old lady said if it's my Sydney, ask him if he gave the Wedgwood Bowl to cousin Janice. We had absolutely no value for the rest of the day, our skipper sent us home, we were just strapped with the giggles and chills. My dad was in the highway patrol in the late 60s and early 70s. There was some major flooding going on in our state, and a trooper was missing. My dad was called in on his day off to help with the search. They had a report of a bridge being washed out and the trooper was headed there at night to close the highway. Either the wrong wash name was reported, or the trooper was confused, but he ended up driving off that bridge into the water, and lost his life, washed away in his cruiser. While my dad was in the office, the lost trooper's voice called in over the radio. Everyone froze for a moment, then the dispatcher responded, trying to get a response, but none ever came. This was quite a long while after he had been dispatched to the bridge, and they were sure he had perished. When I was 21 I was pulled over as the officer got up to my window he said hello ma'am do you know why I stopped you tonight I said no then he glanced over to my back seat and his face dropped he looked terrified I said what why I couldn't finish he said ma'am please step out I said what why he again said ma'am step out now. I did he grabbed my arm and pulled me over to his car called for backup I kept asking what he asked was there anyone with you tonight I said no. He then tells me as he pulled me over he seen a man in my back seat he thought it was a friend as he came up to my window he saw my clothes and bags on my floor move. I was stunned in shock he dragged me in the back of his cruiser. Back up two more officers came they searched my car no one was in my car they found nothing they got pissed at that officer for calling them for nothing. He kept saying there was someone in there he swears on his life. He got back to his car with my bag and phone in hand I asked if I could go he said he's not letting me drive my car home he swears there was a man in my car he drove me home and my car stayed there the night then my friend drove it home but when he did that he asked why it looked like someone had scratched the back of the driver's seat with a sharp object, I said what? Sure enough there was deep scratches in the back of my seat that looked like it was done with a knife? That terrified me I looked into who owned the car and asked the old owner. Turns out it was her mother's car her mother mysteriously disappeared while driving one night her car was found and blood in the bushland near but she was never found. This terrified me I always think about it that man that officer saw was it a ghost trying to kill me like that lady's mother? The scratches on the seats? That car was scraped soon after no way I could drive it. I believe that officer his face looked terrified I'll never forget it. 
I believe I know what happened to that lady's mother I believe she had a terrible fate I hope one day she's found. This is the only thing paranormal I've ever experienced but it was enough for me to believe in ghosts, I don't think that officer was joking because why would he call back up why'd he act so serious and then the scratches on my seats they weren't there before and I don't believe the officer did it if they did that's damage of property. I'd love to know what that man or thing truly was and why it was in my car that's something that's always stuck with me. One night I was just leaving a home burglary call. I started driving and a neighbor lady flagged me down. She was at least 75 wearing a nightgown. I stopped got out. She asked me if I wanted coffee. I said oh no, thank you as she was walking to her porch. She said her sons were policemen. I watched her walk in and I said, thank you but I have to go. She just kinda waved. So I got and started driving off and another guy about 45 stops me and says did they break into the Freeman house again? I said no your neighbor at the end of the cul-de-sac got burglarized. He said why were you walking around the Freeman house? I said oh I was just talking to the lady who lived there. He said no one lives there. I said a lady lives there I just talked to her. He is freaking and says, Mrs. Freeman died a year ago, the house has been boarded up. I'm telling the guy, know that house. He said yes that house is boarded up. So me and him walk back to the house and I shit you not, it is boarded up and dark. That turned me into a paranormal believer that day. I had an elderly woman in a small town that called about every weekend. She'd always tell me someone was knocking on the outside of her house. Everyone thought she was just senile. Then I started checking call logs on the nights she'd call. Turned out that she had a neighbor who got to home home every weekend from jail for monitored visits. When he was home, he'd go around the neighborhood and harass neighbors. Especially the elderly. We contacted the jailer and he release was rescinded. The call stopped. I had a lady that was convinced her house was haunted. I told the responding officer to perform an exorcism of her house with his specially issued holy water. His drinking water. She was happy and never called back. The most rememberable one was a lady who was convinced that men were breaking into her house. She was hysterical every time. The last time she swore that the men were on her couch and she shot at them. I heard the shots as she was firing her weapon. While units were responding, I was checking call logs. I convinced her to lock herself in the bathroom and I would let her know when it was safe for her to come out. In talking to her, I found out that her husband had recently died shortly after they had moved to Kentucky. I also found out that she was seeing a new doctor. He had given her new medicines to take but she was still taking meds her previous doctor had prescribed but she hadn't told the new doc about them. She just figured he'd know. I was positive her medications were causing problems for her. Once the unit arrived, I convinced her to lay her gun outside the bathroom door for the officer, then go with him. Before he arrived I suggested that he gather all her meds and take them and her to the ER. Once in the ER. The doctor looked at her meds and said, it's no wonder she's hallucinating. He changed all her meds, 
discontinued others and we never heard from her again. I myself have a experience to share coming from one of my uncle's police friends in Kentucky discretion advised. It was a cold night in Kentucky sometime between 2013 to 2015 so my uncle's friend had just got done with his stint in the Marines and decided to become a Kentucky State Patrol man it was around his first year on the job and he got a call to a house where a woman claimed that her boyfriend had a gun and was threatening self-harm with deadly consequence. As usual he was first on scene and he would have to wait 30 to 40 minutes for backup to arrive considering the area of Kentucky he was patrolling he walked in with his pistol drawn out and he announced himself by that time the caller had left the scene and it was the man sitting in the living room with a handgun the first thing the officer noticed was that the man's eyes were dark as if he had a black eye. The next thing led to another the man had shot himself and he had died instantly at that point the officer had to call in the personnel necessary to pronounce his death. One thing my uncle's friend said happened that night was that something was definitely off about the room as soon as the man had died there was a dark mist coming out of the man and whatever it was felt evil the officer started praying for what felt like forever and eventually the intense feeling went away and the dark mist was gone. As soon as the officers and crime scene personnel showed up he ran as fast as he could out to his patrol car and after that night he transferred to a city department and never spoke of this incident to any of his colleagues. Well, this didn't happen to me, but to my friend's friend. For privacy poroses, let's assume her name Alex. She used to work until late in the evenings. On the way back home, every day she needed to go through a local park, as that was the shortest way. On the usual evenings, there's always few old people sitting on bench and gossiping. So she never had any fear of walking alone in the dark through the park. Though one day, she worked quite later than usual. On the way back home, she felt a little hesitation to go through the park as it was darker than usual plus the fact that she knew there wouldn't be anyone sitting on the bench at this time. But anyhow, she chose to go through the park, as that was the shortest way. As soon as she entered the park, she heard some noise from her back. She turned her head, there was a man who was quickly running towards her. Oh damn. She started walking fast. She looked back again to see him, but to her surprise, the man stopped chasing her. After a few seconds, Alex looked back again to see him. What the heck? He was walking so fast towards Alex again. She started praying so hard and started running. But to her surprise again, the man stopped chasing her and started walking in opposite direction. This happened four times, the last time he was so close to Alex, that it was mere four to five feet distance and she could clearly see his face. Luckily, she was out of the park by then and felt so much relief. No, that wasn't the horror part. Few days later, she saw the same person in the news arrested for a rape and following murder. Alex was shocked to see the same man for those charges. He could have hurt Alex too that day, but why he didn't do anything that day when he could? Was he just playing around or scarring her like this? Alex went to police station to report that incident and to see him. Finally, 
She was able to speak to him and ask him that why he didn't hurt her that day if this was all he was planning that day too. The man's answer shocked Alex. He said because there were so many people with you. What? No, I was alone, Alex said. You were alone before, but as soon as I was approaching you, few people came and asked me to leave you. I went back, but then I saw you were walking alone. I started chasing you again. Then more people came and told me to leave. I was surprised how come so many people come at once and that too this late at night. The last time I tried to come close to you, their shouts were so loud that I couldn't bear. They also told me that they would kill me if I don't leave you alone. So, I just ran away from there. That was even more shivering than what happened to Alex that day. But good to know, there aren't always bad ghosts, there are good ghosts too. Maybe angels. Who knows? Not police, but military one. In 1997, I was a part of a joint task force chasing a group of narcotic smugglers in the high-altitude mountainous area located between Kyrgyzstan, China, and Tajikistan. There were eight of us from several post-Soviet countries and representing frontier, counter-intel and fast deployment. All were aged 25 to 38 with quite solid luggage of experience. The group leader was a veteran from a Muslim battalion, special forces that attacked the residents of the leader of Afghanistan Hafizullah Amin and took it, eliminating Amin and putting the start to the Soviet invasion. Atheists, materialists and cynics, if I may mention that to characterize the ideological background of the force. In brief, we had quite an enduring, burdensome and lengthy chase mapped up for us. Through several mountain passes and along those countless convoluted trails. On the second day, we reached the last inhabited spot, where we had a tea with a local Uzbek peasant, some 65 years of age. He told us, that the night before our arrival he observed a group of armed men hurrying towards China-Tajik borderline, which was a couple mountain passes and several valleys away. Chances we would catch up and engage them were minimal, but we chose to give it a go. The old Uzbek who spoke Russian, for some reason switched over to the Uzbek language and addressed myself. I am a Kazakh speaker, for whom understanding Uzbek is quite easy. He clutched my arm and looked me in the eyes and said, do not go past mirrors, you may regret it. Of course I will, Ada, Grandpa. By the time I make it to the mirrors, I will have lost all my gloss. I told the old man with laughter, gave him a hug and we departed. Mirrors turned out to be a mountain, the surface of which shined in the light of the sun going to sleep. We bypassed it along its foothill and arranged a camp where we spent the night. In the morning we resumed our chase and we went up a mountain rim to take a walk along another mountain pass, right behind mirrors. In the mountains he who is on top always has tactical advantage, so we were basically taking a walk on the mountain rim with some of us looking down into the mountain pass. Inner sense was prompting that we were either in an alien territory already, or were just about to approach it. Then, the group leader suddenly stopped. And he said, goose, on me. Yeah, what's up, man? Look there. There I saw walls, towers and gates. Very ancient. 
Very solid looking. Totally abandoned. I want you to go down there and look around. Here I have to step back and explain why the leader deployed myself and why solo. I was the only one in the group who was not married, did not have children and did not have a lady awaiting my return. And out of all of us I was probably the best to find booby traps and material evidences of the enemy presence. I went. I descended into the mountain pass and began my solo and very slowly advanced towards what obviously was an ancient town built by unknown civilization at high altitude. I was looking out for booby traps, when a fresh wind swept away some sand from land in front of me, and I saw stone block pavement. Something that looked like the roads that Romans used to build, the picture of which I saw in a history textbook, while being a pupil. So. I approached the gates a little closer and found myself a cozy observation spot. The city walls were built of heavy blocks. A part of the wall collapsed. I could not tell whether those were ancient catapults or simply the seismic activity, which in that part of the world is quite volatile. And there were pictures of animals on those walls. And statues. Bulls. Something began to itch inside my head muscle some recollection that could not break through those bulls where the bloody hell could i have seen those characteristic statues of bulls i bet many of those reading already know the answer i wish i was that smart that day two more guys joined me and we arranged ourselves an mg nest with my mission done for that day i chose to take a nap while some of the lads proceeded brushing the area we lost the smugglers we returned back to the old Uzbek and called in a chopper. After that chase, I did have other trips to that area, but not into that particular district. And actually those smugglers' choice of the retreat route was odd, for it was and still is a totally abandoned country. Years after that, when I became a married man, my spouse pulled me out to the History Museum in Almaty. And there I saw those bulls. Again those characteristic statues of bulls. Sumerian totem animals. I had a twisted feeling, on one side that itching in my head muscle ceased to itch. On the other side, Sumerian civilization was found thousands of kilometers away from the battlefields of my younger years. Was it paranormal or supernatural? I do not know. One of acquaintance of mine who graduated from a history faculty told me once, that Sumerians, in their famous clay tablets, wrote that they came from a country with mountains and a lot of rivers. Mountains of Central Asia fit that description 100%. The Iraqi police station in Hawija, Iraq. It was on land once belonging to Chemical Ali and I guess all kinds of shit went on in that area. The one wall had five clusters of bullet holes where I presume people were tied up and executed. Each platoon at Fob McHenry took turns doing rotations at the IP station. While in gate guard, in a Humvee at night, you'd see shadows darting around and you always felt like you were being watched. Having to fill up the generator with fuel cans was creepy as shit. Here I am with an M4 with a 203 tube with enough head to destroy the whole town and I'm terrified of shadow people. You would sometimes hear clicks or thumps like shit hitting the dirt near you. Like phantom grenades. There had been a big firefight in years past there, 
with a different American unit and I'm assuming some Americans lost their lives there. Nearly every single soldier who has been there will tell you Therese some bad shit there. Late fall, 1982, and I'm a newbie, boot, to my new unit, Kosubic Bay, Republic of the Philippines. I'm from Michigan. I say that only to emphasize that basically I couldn't be much further from home unless I went to the moon. Anyway, on one of my first trips off base into town, Olongapo, known as Sin City for good reason, passing yet another bar, I notice an interesting gentleman tucked in a corner doing what I correctly guessed as some kind of reading on another individual. I wanted to scope it out for fun, figuring that at best it's probably just another carnival guess your weight kind of thing where right or wrong, you both get a chuckle and he ends up with a few of my pesos. Boy, was I wrong. Let me set the scene. Crowded bar, we get a beer, and sit down waiting for this guy to get done doing his thing with, Two, a woman who we learn is a fairly high-ranking squid. Now, here's the deal about this guy. First of all, he's a Sikh, so he's wearing a turban, which is a pretty dirty whitish linen that perfectly matches his suit. It looked like he had just walked a hundred-mile dirt road to get there. His eyes are blood-red and frequently roll back as he holds the squid's hand. His tongue is also blood-red, a dead giveaway for people chewing beetle nut, never tried it, but it gives you a coke buzz if you chew a little. This guy was tripping balls on fistfuls. Suddenly the woman lets out a loud gasp, turns while standing up, and shoots me a scared look as she ran by that makes me think that this could be good, whatever it is. I sit down across from this gentleman, and just like that he seems to come to complete sobriety and lucidity and explains to me that for 5 pesos, about 0.50 cents at the time, he will share with me what he sees, stop, and then I decide if I want to pay him more. At this point, after the freaked out squid and the guy's seemingly miraculous ability to unscrew himself and get down to business, I'm really intrigued. Intrigued, and maybe a little nervous. So I give the guy 5 and he puts it in his side pocket and in the same motion takes more betel nut out, pops it in his mouth, and begins to slowly chew. His blood red eyes are now staring right at me, and he takes my hand. Just as I begin thinking that this might be as good as it gets with this guy, his eyes start rolling back, and I can tell that he's definitely in a trance of some kind, and he kind of rhythmically begins squeezing my hand. Then he started to talk. First he mumbled something about me being far from home. Well, no shit. Then he said something about how very alone I was there, and how very alone my parents were, way back in Michigan. In hindsight I've always thought the odd emphasis on very could have been because I'm an only kid of two only kids who were immigrants, but still nothing to write home about. Then, he zeroed in on my mom. He mentioned depression. Check. He mentioned family trauma. Check. He mentioned my dad's concern for my mom's well-being, and while that would normally be worth a duh, I could feel that he was going somewhere with this. Then he said my grandmother's long-ago self-harm with deadly consequence was currently causing my parents distress. Then he stopped. So did I. It shook me, no doubt. 
There was no earthly way a stone seek in a bar in the pie could possibly know anything about a guy from me that had just gotten there, let alone that his grandma had killed herself some 12 years earlier. No. Way. That, and it wasn't a guess. A guess might be made about what color my car is, or something, and he might get it right. Not this guy. He knew things. He could see things. You don't throw out self-harm with deadly consequence as a guess about someone's family. I'm not sure exactly what it is that happened to me that day, but I learned one thing. I believe. Me and my roommate have a story. We were military policemen in the 503 MP company of the 3rd Armored Division, 3D Brigade Ray Barracks, and worked patrol in the Friedberg Butzbach patrol area when we did patrol. On the midnight shifts we used to work alone. My roommate worked a midnight one night by himself and the next morning he swore to me that he saw a UFO hover over the big municipal fountain in the town of Butzbach. He said it was about 150 to 200 feet above the fountain, about 50 meters across in size and had multicolored lights. I was never sure whether there was serious or not but he maintained that he saw it. This was in 1979. I lost touch with him after he left the unit and I ETS'd from active duty in 1980. But last year, late 2019, his son found me on Facebook to ask about his service years. Sadly, Bob had passed in January 2019. When I told his son about what Bob said he had seen, his son knew right away what I was talking about. He knew because his father maintained that he saw it for the rest of his life. Who knows? I spent a year on a U.S. Coast Guard Lauren transmitting station on Okinawa. This was an isolated duty station at the north end of the island. There were about 25 crew members, and we all did a one-year tour. I was assigned as a Lauren watchstander doing eight-hour shifts. I was on midnight eight-timer watch when I heard a loud bang on the other side of the timers. There were eight timers in two rows, with the watchstander's desk directly in the middle, with a row of timers on either side. The timers were about the size of a refrigerator with scopes and dials on the front. They were for maintaining a microsecond delay on the navigation signals we received and sent. The noise came from the open work area behind the timers where the ETs worked on equipment. This would be to your left if you were sitting at the desk in the photo. About 10-15 feet directly behind the A watch standers desk was the door to the C timer room. In the photo you can see the timers and just make out the C-timer room door and the radio area behind the desk. At the desk is an old friend I haven't seen in 50 years. To the right of the door, as you look at the photo, was an open radio room area with a telex and a radio transmitter slash receiver. Then a wooden coffee pot stand with a big coffee urn and with a small galvanized trash can under it, which is hidden from view behind the timers. Next was a door opening to a hall and leading to, as I remember, the garage area. Far down, at the end of the building, was where the engineer watch stander was on duty. When I heard the loud bang I jumped up and ran around the eight timers and found that the metal trash can lid had come off the can and sailed across the room and hit the floor. 
I picked it up and walked back and put it back on the trash can. I opened the hall door and no one was around, so I rang up the EN3 who was on watch, thinking he was bored and playing jokes to liven up the mid-watch. He answered on the first ring, so it couldn't have been him, as he couldn't have got back to his phone that fast. I went back to the desk and sat down pondering what had just happened, and within a minute or two. Bang! It happened again. I stood up, walked around and there was the lid, on the floor in the middle of the work room behind the timers. I put it back on the can again and went back to my desk. It then happened a third time, the metal trash can lid had flown 20 feet or so across the room and crashed on the floor. I went back around, picked it up, walked back to the coffee area and was standing in front of the coffee urn when I heard a jangling sound. The spoons in the water glass next to the coffee urn were standing up and rattling back and forth in the glass. As I reached out and grabbed them, the salt shaker next to the coffee urn tipped over, the lid unscrewed as I watched it, and the salt ran out. I was by now more confused than scared, and figured I should let the sea watch stander know what was going on. As I walked past the row of A-timers and had a view of my desk, a small plastic paper tray flew off the desk in the direction of the C-timer room door and scattered papers all over the floor. It didn't just fall off the desk, but actually flew about eight as if it were thrown. I opened up the C-timer room door, which we were not supposed to do, and told the C-watch stander that stuff was flying all over the timer room. He said to call the XO if I was having trouble but shut the timer room door. I got on the phone again to the engineer, who then woke up the XO, and told him what had happened. Within a few minutes, he showed up as I finished picking up the paper scattered all over the floor. The XO came in a few minutes later. There wasn't much they could do, so they hung around for a few minutes, looking at me sideways. The EN3 went back to his watch and the XO went back to bed. Nothing more happened that night or any other night after that I stood watch. I am sure that it couldn't have been a practical joke. When I got up the next morning and went to the mess hall at noon for my breakfast, the story had gotten around by then that I was seeing things in the timer room and I was ribbed by everyone in the mess hall for having been drunk, or smoking funny tobacco on watch, which certainly wasn't the case. During our duty patrolling the base, we always saw lights coming out from the condemned buildings. These were boarded up years ago, had all the electrical switches, lights and cables all stripped away. All just waiting to be torn down. Yet there it was, light were coming out of the boarded windows in the darkness. There were not only lights but typewriters typing away. It wasn't just me but my fellow soldiers who have seen and heard it. It gets worse during certain months where people have seen ghostly figures marching in step near the parade square. Loud marching sounds could be heard. Yet if one exclaims loudly in fear or otherwise, the sounds and lights immediately stops. Had happened more than a few times in that camp. Even from the abandoned parts of the mount line, we can hear women singing in a locked, barricaded part of the building. No one goes there at night and we try to finish our patrol and get back to the other parts of the camp, fast. Later when I got downgraded to become a clerk, quite a few times I heard noises outside the ops room around, 2 am, I manned as well as the roof. 
There was no wind or any kind of storm but I could hear clear the sound made by boots walking right outside the door and rattling of all windows. I just continued my work and it stopped after a while. My duty officer had it worse one time, he saw a shadow near our mess. Then he went in and didn't see anyone but the glass windows kept banging together. Then as he stepped out, probably out of fright, he muttered an expletive that must have struck an immediate chord. As he stepped outside the mess, every single window and door, everything opened towards him. He was very much in shock at this time. When he muttered the expletive again, all doors and windows forcibly closed themselves at the same time with a coordinated loud bang. It sounded like thunder going off all at once. He immediately fled and went to the guard commander who ordered a search. There wasn't anyone and one of the glass panels had actually shattered from the sheer force when it shut by itself. Some of the light's fixtures were also impacted by the force and had shattered. Even though the Dew had another type of religion, he ordered, well asked very nicely for our CSM to do offerings and everyone, including myself, who also shared the Dew religion, all readily complied. I remembered this as I wrote the battalion routine orders that next day, had to tone down what the office related in the incident and several choice words were used as everyone had to fork out some money. Many refused to exchange duties with me for the building and eventually I was the main person doing all the duties there as comparatively somehow they didn't bother me that much back then. I was lucky, I find that if one ignores weird activities of the paranormal kind, it sort of wins down after a while. Problem is most of the time, our reflexes would have long taken over and we would have hightailed out of their pronto. My reflexes are slower and that may explain why I had the least number of activities when I was there. Picked up courage and wrote some of the stories, if it sells I will continue writing about my unfortunate experiences. My dad, retired now, was an officer in Bihar police. He has many stories, but this is very fascinating, I still remember it. He was posted at a district that lies along the Bengal border. There is a highway that connects the eastern part of India and goes all the way to Bangladesh. Once, during winter season he started getting many complaints about trucks going off the road a bit more frequently. There were few accidents too. He ignored these completely linking it to the season and fog. As there was no death resulting out of these accidents no one bothered. Come summer he was still getting complaints about frequent accidents. This sort of made him a bit curious and by that time, there were few computer operators joined. Dad asked them to gather data for the last few years and find out if there is a relation between season and accidents or not. But he had no luck, there was hardly any difference in the number of accidents in season. Except, all accidents were reported within 100 meters stretch of the highway. That too where the road goes straight. Interestingly, there was a bend 300 minus 400 meters back. If trucks were to slip, skid or go off the road, this was the spot. Another thing was there were no reported incidents involving cars, jeeps etc. Also, the time of these mishaps was between 2 a.m. to 3 a.m. This was not making sense, so he decided to go at the reported location for a few days. 
A temporary police booth was built slightly before the bend to safeguard them for any mishaps. Per law, a trucker going off the road on any undesignated area can be fined and may be arrested. He was in luck first day itself, a truck went off the road at the same spot, when his juniors brought the driver for questioning, driver was drunk and he was of no use and said he does not remember and may have dozed off. This is what the expectations as well from the police perspective. But over the next 15 days, there were more than 20 incidents, and almost everyone had the same explanation.